This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast, brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts, currently selling classic and clearance lines with products from £5 upwards. Um, they've got shops in Manchester and London, and you can order online as well, Classic Football Shirts, in Google, or your favourite search engine. Uh, listeners to this show can get a discount, just use TOTD10 at checkout. I'm Wayne Barton, joined by Manchester United legend Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm good, Wayne. I'm fine. Uh, some sad news to start with. Um, it might not be a, a very enjoyable podcast to listen to, unfortunately, because of uh, the nature of it. There will be ups and downs, obviously. There always are with Manchester United. But, yeah, some, some very sad news uh, to begin with. Uh, the news over the weekend broke um, about Bobby Charlton being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, dementia, sorry, not Alzheimer's. And... The the family was um, forced to basically come out and, and talk about that after the even more sad, really, uh, passing of Nobby Styles, who struggled um, similarly with the condition for many years. Nobby, um, obviously a fantastic, legendary figure in British football, in Manchester United history, he's um, Collyhurst Bone, a defensive midfielder. His heroes were Duncan Edwards and Eddie Coleman, um, especially Eddie Coleman. He absolutely idolised him. Um, would rub and clean Tommy Taylor's boots as well. Um, he was a United mad. 
group to play for, for United, obviously. Um, his first goal for United, he, he dedicated to Eddie Coleman. He said he scored it in a fashion that he thought Eddie Coleman would score it. Um, and that was what he was particularly proud of that one. Um, obviously went on to win the um, league title a couple of times with United. He went famously won the World Cup with England um, and danced that toothless grin on the Wembley turf. And um, and then finally, his final act winning the European Cup with United in 1968. On the pitch, I should say, that was his final act because his contribution to United wasn't done. He came back in the late 80s under Sir Alex Ferguson, brought back as part of that um, the youth drive at the club to sort of um, re-establish some kind of um, credibility there and, and some kind of... I guess to show young players the way forward, um, and, and he certainly did that. Um, he, he established a great bond with the, the class of '92, and, and all of the young players at that period, the young players who came before as well, all spoke very highly of him. Um, Paul, you arrived at United in 1991, um, just around the time um, really that Nobby was there. He was back at the club. Did you have any? I mean, I guess it's one of those things because he was working with the youth team and the younger players that he didn't have many dealings but I guess because he was such a small in stature but big in personality that um, he must have been someone everyone noticed at the cliff or, or around the club yeah definitely I arrived and he was definitely there and to actually see him in person from someone who was a Londoner and only knowing him in theory from about 66 yes to, to see him was something else and he was definitely a, a go-to person he was like a magnet everybody saw him they everyone spoke to him he just had that way about him if he drew people in to be perfectly honest with his personality and I wouldn't say I, I knew him well because I was with the first team and he was with the young players and he was you know he was around with the coaches and you know the, who was there um, Jimmy Ryan and there was Brian Pop Robson was there as well so um, <clears throat> I didn't really have enough com- enough enough time with him and in certain ways I <laughs> You know, when you hear about something like this, you do, uh, it makes you think, did I give him enough time? Did I, more importantly, did I give him enough respect for what he achieved as a footballer? I sometimes worry that did I just walk, ever ever walk straight straight past him and think he was treating him as just someone ordinary when he was definitely not ordinary. That's all what's in my head. It's been in my head since something like that come, you know, come around, you know. But I, I do know I saw a lot, I saw a lot of his son on the... Um, who works on the on the circuit as a comedian yeah. on the after dinner circuit? So I saw saw him about um, quite a few occasions over the years. So I always I always spoke to him and spoke about his dad. So, but it's just one of those things when when I arrived in Manchester and you actually getting around the people who play for Manchester United and their local born as well. Then after you you do feel something. It's something that I don't think Londoners really understand how much it means. To, play, to certain people born, to be born in a city like a, a one-town, a two-town team and how much it means to them to play for the team they supported as a boy. There is, there is, there is some kind of feeling that can only be explained if you're actually that, that person, but you do feel it as someone from the outside looking in. Mm. Yeah, nice words there, Paul. Um, I did do a few words on the website for, for Nobby, so you can check that out if you haven't already, but... The reason I'm talking about that piece at all is because I included a long passage from Jimmy Murphy, um, his recollections of United, um, signing Nobby and, and what he brought to the team and to the club. Um, 
one of the most legendary figures in the club's history and one of the most distinctive um, I thought so with his family and of course as I said earlier the, the family of Bobby Charlton um, who uh, Sir Bobby Charlton even who has been diagnosed with um, with dementia it's, it's just Tragic, really sad, sad all round. Um, so let's start with a little bit of a positive to break up the the somber mood on the podcast. Um, the win over um, Leipzig last week, Paul, um, an example of good coaching, I thought. Um, a clever tactical setup exposed the high line, and then the good changes made the result emphatic in the second half. I mean, yes, it w- it was touch and go for a while. They they played a lot of their football in United's half, but I think it. I always thought it was comfortable. Um, Upper Meccano is a player that's highly rated. I, yeah, he had a bad night. I wouldn't, re- you know, rule him out completely on on that. But he did have a, a tough night, and it seemed like United were targeting that space within the centre offs to turn around uh, the ball, yeah. and obviously did with Greenwood scoring the opening goal and, and, and Rashford in the second half um, exposing it time and again. Um, where, where do you stand on that one, Paul? Um, enjoyable night, wasn't it? It was, and United needed that. Yeah. They needed to, you know, something off the back of PSG as well. Um, but I just look at it and I saw the way that they started Leipzig and everything I expected. But then the bit I expected as well is that if they they look like a side that didn't really have a goal in them because they've lost mm. too many key players. They've had everything except their key players. And I looked at that game and... It was it was good it was good on the back of the fact of they've won you know they're opening to Champions League game but I still look at Champions League as what I look at Premier League it's a bit of a false dawn there isn't anything out there that really for me is a hundred percent the only thing again and I say this Wayne on this podcast the only thing hundred percent in this moment in time in football is that Bayern Munich are the best team in Europe yeah. without a shadow of a doubt yeah. everything about them doesn't suggest it it's a fact. The way they're doing their job, they're far and away ahead of everybody in the way they're playing in these difficult circumstances. So I, so I'm a little bit kind of very, very sceptical. Not a little, very sceptical about football, and more so about Manchester United. So I didn't take that game in and suddenly think, right, this is going, this is it, this is going to go on and on because I'm still living in that world of Manchester United of Groundhog Day. Yeah. Some something's going to come back. I've seen the graphs that pe- people have made ones up of what United are about. I've seen the circles describing United, their present, you know, their past, their present, and their future, and everything is just going round and round. And all, and and that's the way it is at this moment. When you're up, you have you everyone's ready and prepared for the downside. It isn't a bump anymore. It smooths itself out now when United come down to earth with a bump and that's happening far too often now and the negativity now is of United is getting boring. I'm sure it's getting boring for me. But as much as everyone talks tries to talk it up, it doesn't materialise and then trying to pacify a situation which isn't gonna change Wayne. It's it's quite depressing really because now I'm watching and I'm seeing his good results against, you know, so-called big teams, big names because of history. But the problem is now, at this moment in time, history is nothing really in football. It's, it's lost too much at this moment in time. It's lost the, the majority of our game 
is what comes through the gate. That's 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 the game of what comes through the gate. Yeah. And it isn't nothing happening. At the, nothing at the minute. <laughs> no, it's nothing. It's nothing at the moment in time. It's it's not enjoyable way in football, and it isn't about the way Manchester United are playing and they're not winning the games that matter most, the bread and butter games. It's football in general is serious, 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 hard, hard work at this moment in time. And I really want to talk big about that game against Leipzig, but I can't. I find it very, very difficult because that's, that's, that's in the past. Yeah, I it's know, I know. And I get where you're coming from with that. Let us just take a little moment, just just two things to talk about. Um, well, I want to um, give, well, certainly one thing to give credit for, Marcus Rashford's hat trick. Um, you want to see that kind of clinical finishing from him more often, but it is, you can't discount it when it happens. You can't just say, oh, it happened and we move on. That is the nature of the beast at Manchester United, of course, but watching it, seeing him do that 16 minutes um, and, and the clinical way in which the goals were dispatched um, very good wasn't it so obviously Rashford a bit of a national hero at the moment so to see him um, answer the critics on the pitch, do do what he did my favourite thing Paul wasn't the goals it was the the moment where he danced around two or three players and he just over-egged it a little bit and I didn't mind it because we were winning by a few goals at that point and you kind of want to see that little bit of difference in United's team um, I know the counter argument to that is um, we're not in the kind of mood um, to be um, all over a season. We're not in the kind of mood to be deliberating in such a fashion. But in in that game, in that moment, um, yeah, I'm waffling on a little bit. But 30 minutes or so from Rashford on the, on the night and um, a standout performance from him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a, a good all round coming on a sub and being clinical in um, in the way finishing. No different to when Oli scored these against um, Nottingham Forest. Mm. In that in that sense, it was just instinctive finishing, which maybe suits him rather than having to think about it too much. Yeah. In certain ways, the way he does a job. But it was good that he you know that he went and done that because it, it needed that at that moment in time. Could we say that Leipzig deserved to lose by those amounts of goals? I think we have to say in certain ways, maybe not. If we look on the balance of play, we look at if we look at all the stats and go that line, go along those lines. But at the end of the day, you watch a game for 90 minutes and you make your own mind up in your head about it. You don't need you don't need yeah. how many shots and goal or how long team had a ball to suggest how good a team played. You should be able, if you watch a game for 90 minutes, you should be able to tell yourself without looking at a bit of paper or what's put in the screen in front of you. That's how you judge how your team's done is by how you've seen them and that's how you make your opinions off of that, not by stats on a bit of paper. But we have to say that you know, the stats would have been still, I think, more so maybe favourable in certain a lot of it for United on, on the way they they were as much as maybe they weren't in the final third, maybe as much as Leipzig. The one thing about it is that when it mattered about to progressive passing in the final third, then I think we have to say that you know, United, that was the difference between them and Leipzig. They had the players who could finish while Leipzig didn't have that. Yeah, um, one little though on the, the penalty, Martial won it and then he stepped up to take it. At that point, there's a, a number of players who can take the kick. I think Rashford was still on the hat trick at that point, and he didn't take the kick. Um, Fernandez, the regular taker, was on the pitch and didn't take it. Cavani, who was still looking for his first goal for the club, didn't take it. You can't grumble that Martial won it, so he took it. Um, 
I know obviously Martial you can see he definitely could see it at the end of last season that um, he was desperate to win the golden boot or say golden boot I, I mean he was desperate to finish top scorer for United to, to be the, the player who did that um, is that good? is it healthy? Um, I mean you know to sort of step out you know like if Fernandez is the regular taker and Rashford you know Rashford was on the hat trick um, is, it, is it good that a player does that? <laughs> Was put it this way: If all of a sudden someone throws up Harry Kane, they'll say it's great. Yeah. He wants to score. That he wants to be selfish. Listen, at the end of the day, whoever wants to take a penalty, I think that's a great thing. Because yeah. because I certainly wouldn't be one of those people to want to do that. I just, I, you know, I can say that hand and heart. It's just one of those things I think of no. So I think for somebody who wants to take it, that's brilliant. You've got somebody who's willing to to you know to go and just want to go and take that. Yes, there might be a a little bit of um monetary issues as well why they want to go and take it mm. there might be other things but still they want to go and take it now when it comes down to it if you've got two people at the end of the day that's when a little bit of respect comes into it now as much as Martial wants it I think he's learned from the last time that if Bruno Fernandes had said I want it I think he would have gone okay and he would have stepped away Marcus Rashford had every right and if he had Marcus Rashford had wanted it I think a lot of people might have backed him given everything that was happening for him off the field as well yeah. but he didn't want he didn't go down that line either he was respectful in that way knowing there's a captain in, there's a captain there as well who normally takes the penalties okay he's missed a couple but he's, the, he's still the go-to person there could have been something said in the dressing room prior to all this as well Martial was the one who got challenged who won it so we might have a little dibs at it, but at the end of the day, there was no embarrassment on the side of Manchester United about who was going to take the penalty. That was, that was the second most important thing, but the, the most important thing was that the penalty was dispatched. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? You, you're absolutely right. I just thought it was worth bringing up because you know you, you would talk about it if we lost, if we didn't miss, the, if we didn't score the penalty and if we lost mm. the game. Those kind of things get mentioned. It's just interesting to talk about the dynamics of it when it works well because yeah. and, and you're absolutely right it's a positive thing that you took the responsibility to do it um, and hopefully you hope that that kind of thing was um, discussed beforehand um, yeah okay so now Arsenal then and a little bit of a rant just a little bit um, so we played with the diamond against Leipzig and it worked and it can work if you're looking to break the opposition lines this is a podcast where anyone listening to it knows that I've been very supportive of Oli. I still feel, and even saying this, I still feel United are at their best when Oli sets up a tactical shape depending on the opposition. One thing that seems to be a strength with the United squad is that because they don't, they don't seem to have players who complement each other. So when you can't build co- partnerships like that, you use a system where you use the best players that you've got to disrupt the organisation of the opposition depending on who that opposition is. Oli's done that well with three-man defences, diamond midfield shapes, split strikers and a false nine, even with Luke Shaw in the middle of a back three. And then, whenever something goes well, it seems like he gets carried away with it. It seems like he trusts the players too much, that the system's a way forward, and not just a stopgap for that particular game, like I think it is. Um, I, I really do believe that it's a system by system, game by game thing that we've got to do. But he looks at it and he thinks, no, I'm going to trust them to do it again. So instead of thinking the actual best way 
to consistency with this team is the four or five ever presence and then mix this, the rest up and, and change the system. We went with the diamond against Arsenal with two players who were better at winning the ball than they are using it with one player in Paul Pogba who's not suited to a possession game. I'm not even sure what game he's good at but we'll talk about Pogba on his own in a little while uh, as well. Anyway, it didn't work. It invited high pressure. Most of the first half was played in United's half. Oli did change the shape of the break. Pogba went on to the left of a 4-2-3-1. It did help United. But the problem is, and this is only in my eyes, um, something that we've seen for months. Yes, United finished third last, um, last season, but they were really, like I've said, anywhere between third and eighth. Third, yeah, they, they deserved it, but they could have finished eighth and nobody would have grumbled because they would have been reflective and you, you, know, you can see that in the team. This is the third team we've faced at Old Trafford this season that we're theoretically fighting for places with. All of them have got positive results. Every time we've set up exposing our own weaknesses because Oli has trusted the players too much to take the game to the opponent, then, I mean, it's much of a muchness anyway. I think these kind of teams are... Arsenal, Spurs, United, Chelsea, Everton, all these kind of teams in this group, Wolves as well, much of a muchness, um, it's like you can make or break the result on your own sort of inadequacies, which United tend to do more often than not, and then Pogba, who's not meant to be back defending, is back defending like he was against Spurs, fouls Bellerine, and this is a separate point, but a penalty, it is a penalty, but even though it is a penalty, Bellerin's fall happens about three years after the contact. Um, they score the penalty. United have four chances in the entire game to score by my reckoning. That's four in the entire game. We've got Green, Greenwood in the first half, Maguire with the header in the second, Van der Beek, it's a post with a cross that's deflected, and Matic has that soft effort in injury time that goes straight at the keeper. Um Thoroughly deserve to lose the game, Paul. Um, one where manager and players are going to have to share the blame, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, soon as I, again, soon as I see the team, I just go negativity straight away. I said it before the game. I said there's every chance this game could have could be like the Chelsea game, and I use this in a in a phrase when I I've done a few I've done a few things prior to the game. I called it. There isn't no word like it yet, but if you could, if you could use two words to describe what I suggested that game might be like, initially that Chelsea game ended up as a damp squib. I said, "There's every chance this game could turn up as a drenched squib." <laughs> that's what I used, and I tell you what, I wasn't far off because it was worse than the Chelsea game. It was worse when I keep seeing that midfield of McTominay and Fred. And I'm kind of going, you've got those two in there. You're playing at home in a big game. You're, you're not frightening the opposition. You're not even actually getting your key players, maybe like Fernandes, kind of buzzing and looking forward to it. Because he didn't touch the ball because they never had a Matic in there who would control the back line, get the ball off of them and shift it forward and get it forward into Fernandes as quick as possible so he can work his magic in that attacking third. No, you've got a midfield player, as big as he is, no change of pace, gives away sloppy fouls. Sloppy. You've got a player who you can play in there as long as he's playing with attack-minded players, 
players who can take up good positions and he'll go around and he'll make people pass the ball quickly and that means there's every chance that they can't lift their head enough and they might give it away. Fred can do that job because he can get around quick. The game is having about having quick feet, quick feet in there so you can pick, so you can go around and you can you can slow you can actually make them pass the ball quick, which again I say it puts them under a little bit of pressure if they can't lift their heads. But it keeps playing McTominay and it slows it down. And McTominay's dropping into the back line, so there's three centre halves. And you don't want McTominay in the back line. The two centre halves are slow enough with the ball at their feet already. You, you want them to be quicker with it. If you're going to go in that back line, say, give it to me, as Roy always used to go, come and do, or Robbo used to come and do off of Pally and Brucey, and he'd whip it in quickly into a front player, or he'll knock it into, he'll knock it into points, or he'll knock it so-and-so, to move the ball quickly. That's what it's about. That's, that's about, again, is about play. You're at home, you, it's a big game, you play at high intensity, because everyone's expecting that Old Trafford, but no, it's ponder. If United ponder... And it's all, they're, they're poor. If they ponder, that means that, that means that Harry Maguire goes even slower. If United are pondering, that means they're at snail's pace when he's playing. Because he gets in that ball, and it's uh, honestly, it's like it's like a cigar moment. It just you just think, okay, draw it in and blow out a puff. It's going on and on. Um, Lindelof gets it. He wants to throw his arm up. He seems to want to be telling everyone what to do, and then he passes it backwards. Did you see the the moment with Lindelof? I know you you're keen. You will watch the moments yeah. sort of slow moments. Did you see that moment where Lindelof got the ball and just sort of slipped on it. Yeah, and he was yeah. like, he, he just. I, I can remember my heart was in my mouth, and I, it was just yeah, well, sheer fortune happened, that no one yeah, else was there. Yeah, well, what it was again there with him, he's, he's so concerned and he's so on edge because his fists are still clenched, and yeah, people yeah. have got to watch it. He plays with his fists clenched, and he's so obsessed with when he gets the ball to find to like get his arms up and wave at people that he took his eye off the ball. So he went to pass it out wide. I don't know if it was to Wan Pasaka, but the problem was that he took his eye off the ball because he was looking forward, and he's 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 got the touch. Something, the ball and it wasn't there so it was, a, it was a panic moment and I saw that but I was working on it like, um, yesterday but I couldn't say anything at that time because a commentator was talking and it moved on but it was a prime example of what I'm seeing from Manchester you're playing at home you, you've got to if you put if Cavani you haven't got Martial he's suspended don't play Mason Greenwood play Cavani He's proven his goal record. The record says it all. Start him and then bring Mason Greenwood on. If you bring him on, then. But Mason Greenwood is not getting into games. He, did, he had one shot at the near post where you expect any goalkeeper to save. Yeah. As good as you expect any goalkeeper to save. But if Leno had let that in, they mostly said great goal by Greenwood. If De Gea had let that in, they would have said De Gea had a nightmare. That's where we are at the moment with Manchester United. So it was poor. Poor decision-making on the team he's playing at this moment. If he wants to play a diamond, if he plays a diamond, it has to be on a positive note, not a negative. If he wants to be negative, go free at the back with the players he's got and do that. And then, But then at least you've got more players in that midfield and up front who will express themselves and get you out of jail. But, and I'm going I'm to say this again. Everyone raved about Tuanzebe. Everyone raved about him. The lad can't get a look in. Yeah. What what is going on? Play people when they're on a high because you get you'll get the best out of them. Now, two and Zabie, is he going to sit on the bench because he's never going to come on? You're going to keep him there, keep him there, and then all of a sudden, then you're going to throw him in and expect the world from him. 
You can't keep doing that to people. He has to be positive because it's going to cost him. The moment I saw that team, the moment they got that performance, you knew it straight away that it's going to happen. And there was no excuse. Last, last week, there was about, oh, I was positive with the substitutions. Can, you can't say that again because the substitutions weren't positive. I think the substitutes were a little bit peed off. Yeah. Peed off with coming on so late in the game when they could he could if it had gone and made a change at half time everyone had gone yes that's positive that's good because that was drab Arsenal would have actually outpassed them in midfield what's his name Partey in midfield was the best was the best midfield player controlled that midfield mm-hmm. a bit Vieira like in a way he did, the, 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 the worrying thing is Paul is that they don't have, he was good I'm not saying that he wasn't good but they don't have to be you know what I mean? No, United don't no, make it hard. No, for them. Be, no, because they don't move the ball quick enough. And and to be honest, they haven't they haven't got the players in there to get close. If you're not, you're either going to go in there and get four people who are going to get quick feet who are going to get around. Fernandez normally gets around. He didn't bother because he just he just saw it. it's not. He hasn't got the personnel out there, people who he believes in. Matic, if you're going to do that in a game like that, Matic has to be there from day one. And I say you can't play Fred and McTominay together. Yeah. You can't keep you can, against Newcastle. You can if you want to. If you want them to go and kick people against PSG and do all that, it works now and again. But as again I say, Champions League football isn't Champions League at this moment in time. PSG are a myth of a team, so it's all right. But when it comes to the bread and butter football, play the players when you're at home who are going to win you a game their ball retention's going to be better. The other team are going to be wary of them. Arteta, when he saw that team, he mostly thought, we're going to get a lot of the ball here. Do you, do you could... think, with that, sorry to interrupt, Paul, but on that, on that note, do you think that Oli's fallen into that trap of trusting the players too much? Because, I mean, you've said it a couple of times already, but the midfield shape, that if you are going to go with a diamond against Arsenal, you've got to have that conservative player in there like Matic yeah. maybe one of Fred or McTominay probably Fred and then you would hope and that, we'll talk, again I said we'll talk about Pogba in a moment but you would hope that the other player would be either a Mata or a Van der Beek to sort of switch with Fernandes because that's yeah. the, the natural balance of that diamond Wayne Wayne that's 100% right mate that's exactly how it is if we'd have done that at home if we'd have done that yesterday everyone would have gone yeah I would have gone yes I like that because you believe that you're going to get the ball and they're going to move the ball around when they've got it. Yeah. And Van der Beek will go around. He, he isn't going to... You don't really need big kickers. You don't need them at Tom and Ace to go around and be a tough guy. You, the game doesn't really warrant that as such anymore. You need a presence, but the presence is a matage presence. That's what it's about. Someone who's, who seeks and destroys by nipping in front of people, blocking holes so they can't pass through it. So if they try then he'll, he'll nick it so they don't pass it. That's great defending, by the way. That's a deflection away. Let's try another area. That's great. It gives you time to reassess and, and then to sort out your defence. That's, that's good. But, but um, Van der Beek will get around and he will get people's heads down because he's a scurrier. He's a runner. He'll work with and without the ball. The same as Fernandes will work with and, be a, with and without the ball. Mata works with and without the ball. He isn't quick on his feet as Fernandes or um, Van der Beek, but he does it because it's in his head to get it back. Yeah. And that's what you... But the one thing about it is that when they get on the ball, you'll get more positives than negatives. How many positives did United get 
out of those out of that midfield yesterday. They didn't. They had three players in theory were negative. They had one who could have been positive, but he was struggling because the other three were negatives. And that's the problem with Manchester United at this moment in time. They've gone very, very as as this country is at the moment. Too many false positives <laughs> at, at this moment in time. Too many. Here we are. Leipzig likes it. Look what they're doing. And oh, got got to get off that. Put those games to bed and say that's a di- that Champions League is a completely different league to the domestic league. Mm. No, bread, bread and butter is more important than the glamour league. Um. Bread and butter is what everyone is is all about. Their their livelihoods, if we if we ever allowed to have one again, their life is about winning things at home and that little bit everything that banter everything that goes within that with within everything about those games winning those games in Europe are great but it don't really mean that much to people unless you get to the final your club gets to the final it's about the games at home the bread and butter Manchester United's bread and butter was spoilt because Arsenal come in there and they absolutely took away the butter and they just put blooming vinegar in that in between that bread it was awful, absolutely awful. What the selection, the way they played, and yes, in answer to your question, he has got to stop trusting the players. Because I tell you what, as much as anything, I think the boss was was he, he knew when people weren't right, and he played what he players that he knew were going to give him everything at that moment in time. And he and there's a few times you kind of looked and you thought, what's going on? But it was a, there's always a method in the madness sometimes of some of these people, and he done it. Be cruel to be kind. Don't don't let sentiment get in the way. Yeah. And and that's all he's got. He's got to do that because because the end of the day, as much as he wants everyone to be his friend, trust me, he'll get knifed in the back. Ask Julius Caesar. <laughs> no, that's it. That's exactly right. Um, one player who probably because it's Bruno Fernandez, he's probably going to um, not have that kind of um, feeling of knifing him in the back. But I'll give Fernandez. I'll cut him a little bit of slack. He is off the boil. He's had his little moments for the last few games, but that transformative impact has gone. It seems like it's that old adage of a player becoming what's around him. He's representative of the inconsistency. Um, the last, I can't really think of the last really good performance he had. It doesn't come easily to mind. But like we've already mentioned, you don't have the players around him. Then, then it's going to be more difficult. One of those players, Paul, and this player that we've talked about so often before, Paul Pogba. And I just want to bring him up again because it was another bad performance. He, he accepted responsibility for it, and, and to be fair, he, you know, he did. It seemed like he, he was genuinely upset by it. But yes, but you're 26, 27, mate. You, you, yes, it was not good. But I'm not going to feel sorry for you for making that rash decision. He was going nowhere, and and the rest of his game wasn't um, any good. And this is the, the thing with Paul Pogba. Um, and maybe it's representative of like the sort of fan base at the, at the moment, the way that people will say, "Oh, Pogba's better than what the manager's allowing him to play." But we've seen this so often before. When when we first signed him, it, it just feels like there's been a, a, a sort of roll call of excuses that I've never known these allowances for any player at any football club, but particularly Manchester United. I mean, one of the favourite pastimes I have is the idea that. Juan Veron might have been better if if pre, maybe we'd held him on for another couple of years he might have been better because we needed someone in that deep midfield role or David Beckham might have played in 
the centre of midfield in the two years after he was sold and he would have been very good in that area they're little what ifs but those were players who had this genuine pedigree about them at Pogba when he signed it was he needs a deeper player to sign uh, to play alongside him so we signed Matic then it was he needs energy alongside him so we signed Fred then he needs someone to take the creative burden off him and we signed Fernandez. It, then it's, he can't play in the midfield too he's not dynamic enough and not quick enough to play as the number 10 he can't play with a defensive midfielder behind him apparently he's the best on the left in a midfield three but that's only if you have an opponent that doesn't want to tackle or press against him and like like yesterday every opponent is going to do that against United so you're left wondering what exactly you need to get him playing well and then when he's not in the team United are playing better with more cohesion you know it's not rocket science. I'm not being horrible. I, you know, he's obviously got gifts. He's obviously very talented. But if United are playing better without him, and he's not playing well, don't have him in the team. Yep, yep. I, I get where you are, and I've been very defensive of him. And I would say the best way is to get to get him away from anything from your defending box. Get him yeah. away from it. You don't want you don't want him back in there. He has to play as close to the front player as possible if you're going to play him, but you can't. You've already got Fernandes and you've you've got someone like Van der Beek as well who can go and play in that role. Van der Beek Van der Beek is is has got a little bit more about him, can go and play somewhere else. Can actually shift a little bit, but no, at the moment in time I think he's got to look at it and he's he's got to get the he has to get the bigger name players in, and if it's and if it's going to lift, if it's going to lift the players around and give that belief that they can score goals and win games, I'm sorry, he's got to put the majority before the minority. That's a life thing, to be honest. Really, the majority always always comes through, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and he needs to do that. He has to be very, very selfish, and he needs to think of himself now about his position. It's always get every game. Is going to be a battle for him because he just knows there's people out there who want him, who want him out. Who don't believe he should be in that job. Don't make the job easy for him. Make him see that you've gone and got these quality players in. Um, quality. He mostly never thought he could manage players of this, of this, of this quality. He's played with quality players. Now he's got, now he's got to try and manage a team, and he's got to coach them as well and tell them what he's looking for from them because at this moment in time, he, he isn't getting that and he's leaving those players on the bench. And if I was playing, I would be there and I'd be looking as one of those players, I'd be looking what's sitting on the bench and I'd be kind of going, I think we could do, be doing much better if they was on the field or we could actually, there'd be more belief. Like I always say that those first, that first season of running out onto the pitch behind Brian Robson, for me as a player, and yes, I, I, you know, I knew Robbo from the England squads prior to me coming to United. But when I signed for United and running out of that tunnel at Old Trafford and Robbo in front of me, and all of a sudden I look at Sparky and I think to myself, I'm not going to lose this game. There's no way I'm I can't lose this game. Everything's in my favour. I've never, I've ne- you know, it was a feeling which I never felt before as a player. When I when I playing in the club side, I never felt that because I never I had some good players around me, but I had you know top grade players, you know thoroughbreds, and it made me feel different. How many of those players? I wonder. You're never going to get the truth from them, but if they put their hand on their heart, how many of them believe that they was going to win that game yesterday? I don't think there would be too many, and it it come out may in some of their games maybe they didn't have belief in that team that had been picked. Yeah. 
And when I kept looking at that bench and I was talking about it, I said, the only, if, it, if it's about the benches, United have got enough on that bench to go and win this game. Arsenal have, can't improve on what they've got on that pitch. They can't. They might get a bit of luck with a, a goal from Enketia or something. But when you look at it as a game and you're talking about it being a chess match and you look at the quality, Manchester United have got unbelievable quality on that bench. And it was it was never utilised, and it should have been utilised at its best with that, with some of them actually starting the game because it plays on your mind, it plays on your mind. And I've been there, I've been at a lesser club, and I'm going to play at Anfield. I'm going to play at Old Trafford. I'm going to a decent Spurs side, London derby, a decent Arsenal side when Arsenal were just going under George Graham. George Graham was, and they were just, and they were, there was like a strong physical, but going was always tough going then. And then all of a sudden you look at those players and you're going, wow, you, you know, and mentally it affects you because if you don't start right, that's your game gone as a lesser team. That's why psychology, psychology side of football is so important now maybe because of maybe the weakness of minds of what people today compared to many years ago but then if you talked about psychology then to any of us we would have said nah don't be silly we're all right we don't need all that rubbish but in a way it was affected because we looked at the people next to us in the tunnel and we was going wow that, no. that, that's the sign of, I mean, psychology is best though. Because yeah. I mean, for you, got Fergie was the master of it, and he sort of took that from you, didn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. he dealt with it all himself. Uh, yeah, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that you didn't, you didn't feel it, but you, like you're saying, you, you felt it in a different way, so yeah. you weren't conscious of it. Yeah, uh, yeah but I mean, you think of any player you you talk to over that period under Sir Alex. You talk about you know from say from when from when yeah. he won his first from, from the FA Cup, and they talk about him maybe up until look at twenty look at twenty eleven, go up to about twenty eleven Manchester United, and then things change a bit. Twenty thirteen wasn't a great Championship, you know, Premier League winning side as such. Yeah. But you look at it, and everyone you're talking, they'll talk about playing against Manchester United during that time, and somewhere along the line, those players will talk about when they stood in the tunnel, when they looked what was across at them, and they knew it was going to be tough. And a lot of the men, you knew they were going to go. You knew they couldn't last because they kept looking round all the time. Even the one who'd always stare forward, trying to, you know, give it, you know, look forward, don't look. You could just see they were wilting because they were scared of what's going to happen. People always say to me when I play for United, who was the toughest winger you played against? I said, I never played against a winger as such because I was too concerned about trying to stop Andre running. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's the fear factor of the personnel you got on the pitch. Oli has to use that because in theory, everyone knows those players are better than what he's putting on the pitch at this moment in time. You can't have a team like that out there. Then you've got Cavani still in the top five in European scoring goals. Yeah. You got you got Van der Beek, who's got more, you know, he's been he's got more championship medals than a lot of those players on that pitch, and he's been at Ajax. He's but he's played in the Champions League semi final. You got him sitting there. He's mostly he's mind nothing worse, I think. And I I thought about Fred comes to mind. That's how he how he was feeling under um, Mourinho. Yeah. You come from abroad. And I know it's only Holland, but all of a sudden you come into a, another country. Given what's going on in the world as well, so he's kind of trapped. He can't go out and mingle. He can't go out of his family or his partner or his wife and go and sit in a restaurant and get to know the area and get different people come up and welcome welcoming him into Manchester as they would do because it did that's what happened to me he's sitting in this as you should use this word which I hate using this bubble 
yeah. and having to and all of a sudden he's in this bubble with everybody he's not really getting away from anybody because he can't mix but he's not playing regularly and he's on a little bit of a downer if you keep doing that you're going to lose him you're going to lose him because he's just saying I could be playing I could be I could be back playing at home and you know he saw him win 12 the other day and he's most I could have been a part of that yeah. So you can't you can't afford to lose a player of that quality. That's the, so when he every time he comes in, he's trying to prove a point. A bit like when Fred came in. Fred kept coming in under Mourinho, and Mourinho, Mourinho was using it to justify why he weren't playing him. No, the fella is like seven eight thousand miles away from home, and he's in he's in the major city. He's not playing regularly. He feels like a spare part. And every time he goes on the pitch, he thinks he's got to, he's got to be brilliant, and he's trying too hard. Yeah. So it's so it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, yeah. All I want to say, Wayne, this moment in time, I want Ollie to do well. I really want him to do well. The problem is, is that time's running out, and the, and the other problem is, whoever comes in next, gonna have to go through this again. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> yeah, gonna have to go through. You know, it's like an, it's gonna be another like Bill Bill Murray scenario. Yeah. It, it you know. Really is, yeah. You know. So that's the bit that concerns me. Everyone goes, oh, he comes in, he's done great, he's done this. No, it's it's boring. It's absolutely boring. What's going on? And Manchester United, the people will go. The players deserve better and op- a better opportunity to succeed, and the fans deserve a lot more. They need honesty. They need honesty about the situation and what's going on because they're not getting honesty. All they just see is all they can talk about is what's going out of the club. And the only thing that's going out is money out of the club. And and Manchester United are about being a team on the pitch, having this status which which the hard work and sacrifice went into to get them to where they were and it's been stripped away, not because they're not good enough as a football team, it's more important, it's getting taken away by people who are not allowing them to compete. Uh, Yeah, standing evasion. (laughs) Absolutely right. Um, The the thing, just to close on Pogba before we move on to the following games, um, He's played 166 times for United since he returned to the club. When he he did return, one observation I made um, to anyone who wanted to listen was that from seeing Pogba play for United the first time round in in the sort of reserves, and uh, my my thought of him was that he obviously had a lot of gifts, but um, he he was very much a three three match player. So he played well one time, he played badly another time. And then he'd just be so badly, so poor the third time that he'd just completely go missing and sometimes be a liability. So that's like the three Paul Pogba's um, that you get. And so in, in that ratio, you would say that 166 games, he was played 55 good games for United, but I don't think that, I think that would be very kind. Um, I don't think he's played 55 good games for United since he's returned. Um, I think it's so frustrating because he's. He should be the player that um, we build around, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens um, with that. The funny thing is, um, funnily enough, the next game is against Istanbul, and I might pronounce this wrong, uh, Basak Sia. Um, they're in the Champions League next. It's a reunion with Rafael. Um, much loved successor to you, Paul, at right back. I know some guy played 600 times or so in between. Um, but funny, funnily enough, Rafael played in midfield in one game. Um, for United and that was against Blackburn um, in 2011 that was the game that apparently forced Paul Pogba to say I'm going to decide you know he thought I can't be 
if I can't be counted on to play in, in an injury crisis against Wolves in midfield, uh, Blackburn in midfield, then I'm, I'm going to go. And then that's when he signed his contract with Juventus. Um, he's up. Rafa has already played in midfield for his new club. In, I think he played against Paris um, in, in midfield um, in, in the first group game. Sorry, sorry, not not Paris Leipzig. Uh, Leipzig in the in the in the first group game. I think he played in midfield. The reason I bring it up, Paul, is um, obviously great to see Rafa again. It'd be um, wonderful. But Pogba against Rafa in midfield, and the way that Rafa plays with his tenacity, you wouldn't fancy. You wouldn't say that Pogba's a cert to do well in that game either, would you? Um, it's going to be a tough one, isn't it? I mean, Istanbul away. It's not going to be the same um, as what <laughs> what you guys had in 1993, but it's still going to be. Um, um, a bit of a, a, a tough game, a tough visit. Yeah, it will. It will be tough. It'll be seriously tough, given everything that going, you know, going into the game off a seriously, seriously poor performance as well makes it even tougher. But they might, the, you know, they'll go, might go there, and they'll be a, they'll be maybe feeling a little bit better because if it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way, it's, it's a different type of game. It will suit certain people, but I think that Oli has to make a mark and make some tough decisions on what he wants to do about players because he's still not getting like he's getting no change from players. They're not giving him enough, and you know, and suddenly he's gone back to the same two centre halves who have been letting him down for quite a long period of time. He now needs to maybe look at something different. So when he makes that decision to maybe, hopefully he makes that decision to try a different pairing, something better, something that may be better, that he sticks with it rather than keep going back to it because he can't keep going back to what is actually been consistently failing him all season. And, you know, everyone wants to jump off the back straight away and start talking about clean sheets all the time straight away I think it's I think it's not so much always about clean sheets clean sheets yes people say they win your games but it's about what your keeper does more importantly what your keeper has to do during the game and how he's worked and Arsenal cut through that back line quite a bit quite a bit they got through through lack of pace lack of um positional sense and there, there is big problems. So that's maybe an area he's got to look at. He's got to look at Manchester United, at what their, their strength and what they've been renowned for is attacking. To play a Manchester United team with no width, you know, it's, it's, it's like asking a, vi- asking a violinist to, to, play, to play the violin without, without a bow. Mm. You might as well say, oh, yeah, we call that a ukulele. You know, it's, it's it's shocking. You know that, that they had no whip. Cannot saw, believe. Um, Ali, sorry, Alex Stepney and Gordon Hill on Twitter complaining about that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah. old. It might pit my hole, but that's old school. But no, it's <laughs> it's whip is so important to any team. United were the ones who are renowned for it. People still talk about it. Um, some people might say, oh, that's that's all changed now. Sorry, it hasn't changed. Every time you go and see anywhere. T- to make games happen in midfield, what you have to do, first of all, you get the width. So when you get width, you spread teams out. That allows you then to try and pass in between you. You can overload to split them and you can pass in between them. Without getting width, you can't pass through people because they'll just stay so tight in the middle. They had three centre-halves yesterday. They, they never went outside the width of the box because United had no width to take one of those. Rob Holding never really come out. Every time Rob Holding come out, 
he gave he, one time he come out, he got booked quite early. Then he done it again, and he gave another foul away. But it never took him out enough. Just stayed in there. Why didn't Mason Greenwood stay wide? Because he doesn't want to stay wide because he's right, he's left footed, playing on the right hand side, wants to cut in with and without the ball. No width. So they need to he needs to organise that really what he wants to do. He's got players there who can play wide. He needs to tell them, don't be too, don't be too anxious to keep getting in. He's got to start now looking. How is he going to make opportunities? And he's got to try that in a Champions League game. He has to try that. I think he without will a doubt. I do think um, that's going to be one that, he, because it's a Champions League, it's more of um, an opportunity to do that. You know, rather than it being like we'll talk about Everton in a moment, but it can make like six or seven changes and it not look like a massive thing. Um, so we'll see. Um, hopefully, if, if he does that and it's positive, then it will be something that he takes forward and not just relies on the the, the idea of the system, but putting the same old names in, which um, which are doomed to failure. Um, and you certainly don't want to be doing that against Everton. Um, a little rundown at misery lane for people who, who just just to conclude the podcast. <laughs> um, it was the final game for David Moyes, obviously. Louis Van Gaal got a heavy beating there. They were, the loss there in 2019 under Oli was one where he suggested some players might not be at the club for much longer. Well, I remember you and I talk about that saying it was one of the the lowest points after Fergie. Well, one of the the many. Of, yeah, of, that that I mean that one still sticks in my head. To be honest, is maybe the worst. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of course, you've got the defeat on Merseyside, which saw Mourinho sacked. I know that was at Liverpool. I'm not saying that Oli's going to be sacked or that he would be sacked after losing against Everton. I don't want to get that in, in the weekly conversation just yet, but it is starting to feel as if the tide's turning against him. And even though Everton have lost their last two games, you can see that their momentum will shift and this is a kind of game what they would get up for. It's another tough one to call, but you get the feeling that if they are up for it, that's half the battle against this United team. Yeah, I mean that's that is this you know this is the game. If Everton had lost ten in a row, you, yeah. you'd suddenly you you'd, you're suddenly Manchester United would lift would lift them. Yeah. The fans would be lifted in normal sense, but there is no fans. So, but the players would be lifted. It's a bigger game for them. So yes, their way of getting everything back over their two very very poor performances, the previous performances. This is the game to do it to to get people back on side again. So it's, 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 it's going to be a tougher game than what it was against Arsenal. If he, if he starts in that, with the same mentality as if not to concede, then, they, then they're going to they're gonna get outplayed and there's going to be a battle. You can't take Everton for granted. They, at their best, they've got a good 11, 12 players that compete, maybe can compete. But as we've seen of late, once they get injuries and they're missing those players, one the ones that Ancelotti's Ancelot brought in of late, they struggle. So, but you can't, you know, at the moment in time, you can't take anything for granted because the results and the performances are so up and down. You know, there's nothing out there really that is that is really really good. People have got points on the ball, but you look at general performances, the standards, the standard of the games that everyone's watching. Everyone knows at the moment football is taking a big entertainment from football is taking a massive hit, you know, massive hit because of the circumstances and the reason why we're still here, you know, in November without fans is is because of what's happening now, really, because this was always on the card. So I think now 
players have to get it into their head and managers need to get it to them. This isn't going to change until May. Oh, I was going to say, um, what was it we were saying back in March? Null and void. When we went into lockdown, maybe we can null and void this season already. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not doing, going really well, is Yeah, it? but I mean, I think we look at it, Wayne, we look at everything and we look at this at the end of the season, the season ends and whatever goes on this season, it's never really going to be taken that serious it doesn't feel like that you're no, right yeah. it just, it's either. not going to 2021 and if we if the season starts afresh and there's 50% 50% in the stadium go, people will go this is real now now we're going to start seeing what's going to be next that's when it'll be taken serious so whatever happens at the end of this season it's not in British football I don't care about champions all that rubbish I'm talking about here now it's, it is, at Premier League level it's not going to be taken that serious because because we look at the league and the league isn't serious it's, again I use these words there's so many false positives going on at this moment in time in football it's it's just not going people are not going to take it serious they're not going to want to take it serious I mean the team could get relegated we look team could get relegated and we're kind of going how do they get relegated you know all of a sudden you've seen Aston Villa have this unbelievable start from the no team that's got that been got so close to um being relegated you know when you look at it they should have been relegated Aston Villa have a start like they had mm-hmm. you know and then to score seven against Liverpool when you think that game could have been could have even been 7-7 to be perfectly honest and then all of a sudden then you see them concede four in the first is it four go four behind against Southampton <laughs> you know even though they come back the, it flatters them really because they wasn't really in it and then you say to yourself well what's going on and, and we know what's going on so it's not going to be taken seriously at the end of the season yeah well unfortunately for, for United the figures won't lie and they will be taken into account um, yeah that, well let's hope that next week we will be talking about some true positives um, a couple of wins um, yeah Everton and Istanbul not two places you'd like to visit um, as in terms of Everton and Istanbul lovely places don't get me wrong I mean if you're a footballer needing to get a win um, as Manchester United's footballers certainly are um, remember guys um, that's it for this week uh, remember TOTD10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts if you enjoyed the show give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, we will I do plan to give books away as well but um, only when we've got some reviews on the board on Apple Podcasts um, so we've got someone to give the prizes to um, so yeah get reviewing you're going to need to do that Um that's it for this week. Take care, guys, and we'll be back next week to talk about those, um, hopefully, some true positives. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, We understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.